Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for April 8th, 2019. Our sixth anniversary yop featuring poet Joanna C. Valente leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street, off Smith Street, near the Bergen Street FG stop. For more info and to sign up, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Del Lemon, Hannah Donovan, Jerry Wagoner, Rachel Goldberg, Todd Friedman, Michael Holcomb Scally, Alan Braverman, Julia Knobloch, Adam Holabeck, Renee Kay, Tim Gerber Fleury, Constantine Jones, Marietta Brill, Josephine Blair, Olympia Mostianu, Yopper of the Year Bill Livingston, Kaya Harris, Dominic Bible, Shara Hardison, Sandra Fien, Prince A. McNally, and last but not least, Ona Abellis. So let's get right to the action. It's the last day of National Poetry Month. The Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for April. Enjoy. Um, welcome to the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic. Uh, how y'all doing? You're, look, you're looking good. It's warm. All the colors come coming back into your skin, right? Skin feels better. Not as tight, you know. Uh, weird things happen to the skin in the cold. It's really bad. Uh, anyway, I just had like visions of acne pop into my head. <laughs> Let's dispel that from our minds. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Jason Koo, Executive Director of Brooklyn Poets. Uh, I'm going to be emceeing the open mic this evening. If you haven't been here before, you get one poem of three minutes max on the mic. Please keep to your time. The time is important because we want to hear as many poets up here as possible. Um, some of you have signed up for the advanced list, which you can see here, but you can see also this beautiful wait list of poets that is on the second page. So we will get to more of these poets if everyone keeps to their time and does not go over. So that is very exciting. Um, if you haven't been here before, we also record the open mic as a podcast, which we call the Yopcast. Uh, as I reported last month, we are up to 19 five-star ratings on iTunes, and we are still <laughs> at 19 five-star ratings. We have been in a holding pattern for two months. Just reminds me of my flight home from Austin last night. So, uh, and I got home at 4 a.m. So you can imagine how I feel about that. I feel about the same with these 19 five-star ratings for two straight months. So somebody go on there tonight and please give us 20. That would be amazing. I'll feel like I've accomplished something with my short life on this earth. So uh, if you don't want to be in the recording and you are reading tonight, you don't have to be. You can tell me. I can take you off the recording. It's not a problem. But uh, it's great to be on the recording. People do listen to it. Uh, it's very popular. And it will definitely be, definitely be more popular if we get 20 five-star <laughs> ratings. I'm sure the listenership will increase by like 50%. Uh, also, every month we vote for Poem of the Month based on audience vote. Uh, so if you like a poet, you might just keep a mental note or actually write. Some people actually take significant notes on this stuff. I think Julie Hart keeps like a whole log of the readers. It's very impressive. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's very easy. I would ask that you wait till the end of the open mic to vote for Poem of the Month. You can just tell me the poet's name. That's probably the easiest way. I will review the poet's names as we go. Uh, I'll give you my number a few different times, the number to vote for Poem of the Month, and just text me. Don't call me. That would be absurd. 
718-374-1953. In fact, I've been having weird things with my phone today. I just switched to T-Mobile and like my f my phone was not working. <laughs> I don't know if it was T-Mobile or something. Like texting was working, but I couldn't call or receive calls until I like restarted my phone. Maybe it's the phone. I don't know. It's maybe it's not the the, the phone service. Anyone 718-374 1953 to vote for poem of the month. 718-374-1953. A um, couple of announcements. We are very close to uh, announcing our finalists for the, not our finalists, our winners. <laughs> We've just picked our finalists for the Whitman Bicentennial Poetry Contest. Many of you entered that. Uh, that is top secret, so don't ask me if you entered. I know many of you in this room entered the contest. Don't ask me afterward. doesn't matter how many drinks you buy me. I will not tell you. Um, we are going to send those finalists to the judges, uh, and then after the contest, after the judges have picked the three winners in each different age bracket, then you will find out if you're a finalist. I don't believe in that, like, let people know they're a finalist before the thing has happened, because then you're, like, all, like, you're, like, tense for two weeks, and you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, it's, I feel like it's better to find out afterwards. Um, so that, the judges will pick those winners in the next couple of weeks, and... Just a little preview, the Whitman Bicentennial is coming up on May 31st. We have a big event coming up. If you have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about, Walt Whitman, uh, our spiritual founder, so to speak, uh, is celebrating his 200th birthday on May 31st. We are having a big blowout in Dumbo at Smack Melon on May 31st, and uh, we had these, this poetry contest that many different people entered in three different age brackets on from high school age to college age to... All of you <laughs> older folks, except for the people in the room that are younger than 23. Uh, and we will have three different winners in each of those age brackets reading with uh, our illustrious judges, Tina Chang, Rowan Ricardo Phillips, and Mark Doty. So look for that news soon. Uh, the Hamptons retreat is sold out, although one person hasn't paid yet, so technically that seat might become available. <laughs> we will see. We announced our retreat fellows today. We're very proud of those folks, Kieran Bath. Duji Tahat and uh, Maya Spalter, some very exciting work that they are doing. Yeah, let's give them a round of applause. They, they deserve it. Okay, um, man, I'm running on fumes here. Like I said, I've gotten like four hours of sleep. Uh, the nice, the silver lining today is like, I got home at 4 a.m., so I just canceled my classes today. I was like, I'm not gonna go teach, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I gotta drive to Connecticut. My students are like, sweet. Thank you, American Airlines. Okay, so before we get to the open mic proper, we will hear from our professor who just taught a wonderful workshop on poetry and jazz. Give it up for Joanna C. Valente. everyone is you turn it left to loosen it and then you turn it right I try. <laughs> okay so I'm going to read a poem and it's called Venmo <laughs> would you call it first is it faith that you can buy at a coffee shop a cheap jazz show, a cocktail at a new bar. What I would pay for when I try to pay for myth, for the idea of creation, for a pulse that isn't my own. 
the first day I could hear again, a little better, no lip reading. All I wanted was to hear you, your breath next to me, on top of me. Before the sun rises, before dying, horse is dying and sleep is torture, not a prayer or blessing. And when they ask about facts, don't tell them anything about the hands that used you as utilities that you don't know how to use, let alone pay for. The blood came from your body, but they never tasted it. Too afraid of what their mirror image would look like in that pool. So we keep paying for myths and portraits of what we call beauty, but not what we consider beauty, because that would make us vulnerable. So we pay for everything else instead. Thank you. Did you write that to any jazz? I think I did, you did? You don't remember what it was? <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, our first poet off the open mic list is no stranger to many of you, Gitta for Del Lemon. Hello, thank you. Um, this is a seasonal poem. It's actually really a poetic story more, um, so I hope that I'll read it quickly here. Uh, but I just wanted to share this with the New York City crowd. <laughs> Through the eyes of the horseshoe crab. Seeing that title, I thought, oh great, how the horseshoe crab experiences life. It was horseshoe crab mating season, and I had been living on Cape Cod for a few years and wanting to participate in some activities hosted by the local Audubon Society. There were also some islands off of Chatham called Monomoy National Wildlife Preserve, which I wanted to visit and this horseshoe crab event was taking place there. So I thought I'll pretend that I'm interested in horseshoe crabs and finally get to see those islands. <laughs> when we arrived at the wildlife preserve, it was covered in nesting birds, some brightly colored beaks that I had never seen before. They all seemed to know that we couldn't disturb them because not one of them moved as we made our way down the sandy path in the middle of the small island. A little boy in our group skipped along beside me reciting random horseshoe crab facts such as, did you know that the female is bigger than the male because she is carrying at least 60,000 eggs? <laughs> After one too many horseshoe crab facts, I blurted out, how is it possible that you already know so much about horseshoe crabs? <laughs> Turns out both of his parents were marine biologists from South America and they had already been on several horseshoe crab excursions in the United States. I had no idea where this tour guide was taking us, and when I asked, she answered that we were going to meet the horseshoe crab specialist on the other side of the island. <laughs> was he flying in by helicopter, I wonder? And who knew there were so many people interested in horseshoe crabs, and why, I wondered why. <laughs> <laughs> Until we reached the other side of the island, and I saw that the sand was covered in gorgeous, repeating almost geometric swirling patterns left by all the horseshoe crabs doing their mating dance. 
almost over here. Apparently, they only made in moonlight, and it has something to do with their eyes. But we needed the specialist to explain all that, and where was he? <laughs> it was getting cloudy and cold. The tide was coming in. People were standing in puddles waiting when a speeding Boston whaler suddenly appeared on the horizon. He was coming from his laboratory at the Woods Hole Research Center. And of course, he was tall, thin, and handsome as he stepped onto the beach in his yellow slicker with a silvery gray hair and a big garish wedding ring. <laughs> Turns out, horseshoe crabs have a lot of eyes, 10 to be exact. And since they are so old and sometimes called living fossils, they have fairly simple anatomies that are easy to study. So scientists have used the eyes of the horseshoe crab to find out how we see. In fact, the mentor of this handsome man standing in front of me had won a Nobel Prize for studying eyes. And the handsome man seemed eager to see my eyes when I took off my sunglasses to see him better. It was all very poetic, except for the fact that they had to cut up so many horseshoe crabs to study their eyes. <laughs> turns out we see things in relation to other things. So other things can make something look different than if we look at it on its own without the other things influencing how we see it. The handsome man pulled out some teaching aids to show us, and I thought perhaps his wedding ring would not look so ugly on someone else. <laughs> but despite learning about all the horseshoe crab carnage rather than the horseshoe crab, how the horseshoe crab experiences life, I was happy to be there on those islands off of Cape Cod on a cloudy day with nesting birds, cold and hungry people, especially the handsome scientist and the know-it-all child, and all the hidden horny horseshoe crabs <laughs> with their many eyes waiting for the moonlight. Thank you. Wow. It's definitely the, er definitely the earliest I've seen a standing ovation at the Broken Poets <laughs> uh, Wow. I might not have to vote tonight. <laughs> uh, damn good, Del. Damn good. Our next <laughs> horseshoe crabs, man. I'm pretty sure I've never heard another poem about horseshoe crabs or ever heard a fact about horseshoe crabs. So I would like to meet that kid. Uh, and then punch him or something. <laughs> as long as he's not too young. Uh, our next reader is Hannah Donovan. Give it up for Hannah. I don't really want to follow that, but <laughs> um, this is called Firing Squad. A room of my peers telling me what I do and do not deserve. Do they know I have my headphones on? I respect you all so, I really do, but I am not listening. I will not. After all this time, I have only memorized one song, slight of body and sweating in its repetition. Say something different, I dare it. The lights are harsh. I ask for a glass of water. Everything feels so sickeningly familiar. Standing in front of the firing squad, I can't help but scrutinize back. Who among them has stood inside the body of his expanse and cried, Echo? 
They've whooped and hollered in canyons of their own, ones I could not possibly map if I tried. So why is it their first response to discount where a soul in love has been? We've all lapped at the air between sighs. All have stagnated in the aftermath of sprayed, salted insults. All have pleaded with a deaf god for a life back. Friends, leave me my delusions. Let me paint his eyes on the backs of my own again. Thank you. And we're off to a good start tonight. How y'all feeling now? I'm feeling really good. It's, it's, it's warm, we got horseshoe crabs, got jazz, got great poems. Uh, our next reader is also no stranger to many of you. He's here almost every month. Give it up for Jerry Wagoner. There we go. Uh, I got fortunate. This uh, will be published in May at Right Hand Pointings, uh, issue 132. Yeah, I was. I was uh, and I decided to try the sonnet form, so it's short and sweet. Saving Daylight. Before I woke up yesterday, one hour disappeared irretrievably from our lives. 75 years ago, B-29s dropped Tokyo into an incinerator. Four Sundays back, I fell through my own thin ice into cold, simple words that clatter between the stacks of this heart's peculiar library, their arms outstretched toward a narrow canal that reflects wind's expectant touch, and cormorants floating on clouds listen to high school girls from the madrasa in their uniform black and white abaya, banter in adolescent Brooklynese. Thanks, Jerry. Are you taking Jay's sonnet workshop right now? Uh, no. No, okay. Just strangely writing sonnets on your own. What a beautiful thing to be doing. The uh, thing about sonnets is their, their duration is so reliable that you always know they're <laughs> they, can't, they really can't be over a minute long <laughs> unless you read like super slowly or something. Um, if we all read sonnets, we could probably have like 40, 50 readers up here. Gonna, that'd be fun to try once, just like the sonnet yop. Yeah, know, we'll, we'll think about it. <laughs> Our next reader is Rachel Goldberg. Give it up for Rachel. This is an elegy for my infant daughter. Grace of hunger. Grace whose mouth is an O at the end of a garden hose. Grace of one day. Grace of wishing for cold water in summer. Grace of half moon hands. Grace of expecting someone to fill them. Grace of cassette tape lullaby. Grace of can you hear 
song inside me, grace of learning cursive, grace who strings letters into words, grace of crooked longing, grace of hoping I will see her delicate shapes, the rise and fall, unwinding. Before she was born, I dreamed about whales. I listened to orcas on a borrowed cassette until they tangled in my bed sheets like slippery kelp. And how did such giant creatures fit in this ribbon of plastic? I listened to hold me like the River Jordan, like you were a mother, like you were a friend, on headphones until the reel unraveled and I spun that string in the back seat of a speeding car, trying to wind back from the silence. Grace of hunger, grace of salt water, grace of our first language, weeping, grace of hunger, grace curled in me like an ocean, like a king. Thanks. Well done, Rachel. I like whales and kelp. Kelp is such a great word. As is baleen. You know that word baleen? <laughs> whales have this whole like lexicon of incredible terminology. Which is probably why Moby Dick is so great. If you haven't if you haven't read Moby Dick, I highly recommend it. Uh, yeah, fun fact. Moby Dick is great actually. Our next reader is, again, no stranger to many of you, give it up for Todd Friedman. This is called Family History. No one ever dared to ask my grandmother about my mother's suicide. For 30 years, everyone in the family tiptoed around her. An aunt told me it was a good thing I had chickened out when I was thinking about asking her questions. And then, when she was in her 90s, and I realized she wasn't going to live forever, I finally found the courage. You would have thought that lightning was going to strike me. You would have thought that the earth was going to open up and swallow me whole. It was going to be an instant heart attack for my grandmother, the way my aunt had talked about it. But without a second's hesitation, my grandmother said it was something she could never understand and then proceeded to pour blame on my stepfather, whom she would not name. Like the Queen of Hearts, my grandmother was famous for cutting off heads, so you wouldn't want to get on her bad side. After my mother and my stepfather divorced, she pinned up a picture of the family, minus the head of he who will not be named so everyone couldn't help but be drawn to the photo. I can still see it in my mind, my youngest brother on my mother's lap, me standing in the background, and my middle brother with a pair of hands around his waist, held by a headless horseman. My grandmother went on about what a bastard he was, which was true, and how he'd made my mother miserable but she hadn't been with him for over two years. And I knew that she had a boyfriend, for when my grandparents went on trips, he would come over and I would hide his shoes under the couch. My brother had dropped me off, 
and disappeared into the ether while my grandmother kept calling and calling him to come pick me up. So now she had to go to dinner with me in the independent living facility, all worried that I would cause some kind of scene. No, we went back to normal, we made chit-chat, and my grandmother made sure to introduce me to the various friends she had made in her old age. I never found out if she had made any revisions or if any other heads were missing. She never cared for my father, but that's a different story. Damn good. Y'all brought it tonight. What is National Poetry Month or something? Are any of you doing that uh, beautiful poem, Todd? Any of you doing that, uh, what is that, that 30-day challenge? <laughs> you could have just said yes, but I like that you whooped. Uh, good, I like that style. Whoa! Yeah. 30 poems, 30 days. Are there just 30 days in April? Yeah, 30 days in April. Yeah, I would never do that shit. That's crazy. <laughs> but uh, good luck with it. Uh, <laughs> our next poet, I think we heard him debut last month. Give it up for Michael Holcomb Scully. Timer here. Stay on par. This one's just as, as abstract as my last one, so bear with me. Uh, it's the age of depth. <clears throat> Platforms claim to combat hate, yet they deplatform and regulate. You talk of diversity, but have yet to read Putnam. You talk of charity, but have yet to sacrifice time for love. You talk of honor, but have stepped <clears throat> on the backs of your dissenters. You hyperlink social justice tribunals that supersede judiciary logic. The human and the millions of bacteria living on its skin, the human and the intense real-time worldly interaction, the human and its labels. Do the ends justify truth for the pragmatist? Does a monetary incentive or an ego skew ethics in our laboratories? Is the realist not simply sitting on a curve looking upward? If the pastor exclaims more is revealed upon death and we must live in an orderly fashion until our doom, does the pastor not agree with Darwin? Indeed, we must differentiate between the truth and the civil truth to transcend this madness. The madness like the <clears throat> desensitized raising protest pickets, the madness like the cold, endless <clears throat> excuse me, universe and the colorful. Moral infants and technological giants, Young coined this promptly enough. Should we not digress to progress? Is it not a reductive failure when pioneers refute open public discourse? Sorry, I got a bum knee. Farewell soon to all opposed to open source commercial language, chow dynamism, c'est la vie. Lovers of a better world, indeed, you and me. Like the lack of perfection provisioned by a parent, like the shameful and trapped excuse that consumes. You cannot have civil truth at T1 without free speech at T0. And if the neo-Marxists and the racists both silence the free, are we not at further risk for civil unrest? Is the pragmatist, realist, materialist, and Darwinian not then forced into the middle with drunken, mad, sensical folks like myself? Not iconoclastic, more so pessimistic optimism. We're missing steps, like the pub goer after closing. There's a husky bottle waiting for you in an apartment, mate. There is no hero story, no Piagetian equilibrium, a need for a shared and plotted destiny, a need to hunt tribalistic history, failures and failures and failures. There is no end besides the perception, that perception of a flat line or a juncture in time. The watch on your bony wrist proves this well enough. 
Then there's game theory, which clearly details a benefactor, yet is artfully distorted, objective truths, free will, oafs. Philosophers build systems like my engineers build products, bound to be broken by the sands, yet circumventing genius. The intellectual systems and the hooligans' opinions, assholes. I am not correct, but our leading intellectuals are certainly incorrect. The truth like agony and the ambiguity like happiness, radicals like addicts of consciousness. Thank you, Michael. Okay, uh, let's review. That was six readers. That was uh, Michael, but uh, Michael with a K A E L. Just remember that M A M I K A E L. Holcomb Scally. Before that was Todd Friedman, Rachel Goldberg, Jerry Wagoner, Hannah Donovan, and Del Lemon. Our next reader is. Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't need any introduction. Just get up here. Alan Braverman, everyone. Okay. Um, good evening to all on this uh, early spring evening and finally uh, a break in the temperature. Before reading my poem, I want to share a, with you a quote from the poet Walt Whitman that hopefully is relevant. It's from a poem, Leaves of Grass. I sound my barbaric yap over the roofs of the world. Okay? The poem I'm going to read is called The Poetic Matrix, and it was recently revised. Being, dost thou know that I exist with curious tongue and searching eyes, engaging in the rapture of the moment, a primal scream in a soundproof room? where I assume leadership, talking to the departed, my wine glass raised, toasting those who seek knowledge, even if it's theoretical. And am I the standard bearer, waiting for the paradigm to shift? Then discover tender music within a lyrical sanctuary, celebrating tomorrow, while envisioning the full color spectrum, being a frustrated painter without a brush in a perpetual state of vertigo, the bright sun altering the garden on an island paradise until the gray penetrates the sparkling hues. Then before the rain, thunder, alone, a prisoner coexisting with other animals, soon night, remember mountain and shadows, wish rescue, fear wild, the wolves howl like the wind, Fine star, green wave, spring shower, a secular baptism, anointing yesterday's sweet bloom, while escaping the dawn to a parallel universe, then witnessing a woman's hand between sky and ground. Learn life, laugh and sing, cover fright, naked day, capture a song of summer, ending with fallen flowers and no safety net. Yet beneath clouds, climb blue air, then walk away so the bird of peace can smile. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for that Walt reference. So now you all know what, what the yawp means. <laughs> Some people are still confused. Um, if you need further explanation, just watch Dead Poet Society. Our next reader uh, likes to frequent the bar Night of Joy. Give it up for Julia Knobloch. Woo! 
Thank you, Jason. So this is a poem that um, I wrote in the workshop, The Personal is Political. And we're basically all here, just there's one student missing and our teacher, Laura Eve Engel. It's called Hippocampus, is Latin for seahorse. The Violence Against Women Act remained unfunded before the government shutdown, so I stuffed my face with peanut butter and jelly. Indelible in the hippocampus is the laughter. I have long wanted to write a poem about memory shaped like a seahorse, floating through turquoise waters. The English lacks the endearing tone of the German Seepferdchen, baby seahorse, little horse of the sea. Much of the hashtag too long I stayed with my ex-husband can be explained with my belief in the peach by heartland of this country. Once, I was a young girl sitting in a living room in West Germany, watching Little House on the Prairie. My natural hair color has a tinge of auburn, but I wanted ginger braids like Melissa Gilbert's, bouncing up and down while she came running toward me through the prairie grass. Little House on the Prairie premiered on September 11th, 1974, exactly one year after Salvador Allende killed himself during a savage US-backed coup d'etat in Chile to save Latin America from communism. Indelible in my face is my ex-husband's fist, tank threats in vandalized backyards. I first heard of countries like El Salvador and Granada on the eight o'clock news. I bought henna hair dye and fair trade coffee from Nicaragua and what was then called third world stores. I interviewed people who had been tortured by condors and falcons. Now the Marines are landing on the shores of Venezuela, as it were, once again, folks, and I wonder how Phil Oakes would deal with all this, the singing journalist. In Santo Domingo, the old women sigh, think of memories gone by. I learned how to scuba dive off the shores of the Yucatan Peninsula. I floated with manta rays and seahorses through turquoise waters. Once, I was a redhead with curls. I lived in a house with a husband. We had a mobile with painted wooden fish and seahorses hanging in the bathroom. I imagined how one day it would spin over a crib while I would serenade the child, maybe a little boy, who would grow up eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, learn how to scuba dive and play the guitar and stand up for what's right, my little American pioneer, my baby seahorse. Thank you. So uh, one fact is that Laura Eve Engel's workshop was apparently amazing. The uh, second fact of the night is uh, apparently if you brought a poem about an ocean creature tonight, you <laughs> <laughs> the poem is going to be amazing. We've had horseshoe crabs, whales, and now uh, seahorses. Wow, they were all great. Anyone else got an <laughs> ocean creature? Well, maybe don't give it away. Till, till, don't ruin the suspense. Uh, is, is A. Kaiser here? I didn't see her. She is? You saw her? No. Okay, well, we will skip her then. Uh, our next reader is Adam Holabek. Give it up for Adam.
Eloquent dreams chased by everyday conversation. Blissful fantasies set upon us in visions holding their resonance. Boasting self-sacrifice, riptides of doubt pervasive in the oblongata, taut and poised upon a competitive edge. The precipice is approaching, but I prefer to hold down the shades. Wicked trespasses, dawnings of eras every morning, split seeing of unattainable ambition becoming slowly affable. Hatred filed in a wave, pursued by conjured spirits divulged by sacred sanction. Bleeding stones vibrating on life's ever-changing frequency destined for change. Ebbing and rising like bodies strewn across idle landscapes. Auras foaming on the surface with strong energy, fresh rain-filled air, a breath of clarity. I dream of being awake in my own fantasy, misplaced truths about sanity, rye, eat my liver, soul-searching above the waterline. Permeated madness dripping like quotient rain, sane notions of delusion, wicked signs vexing me in fantasy, dancing in my heart, flowing like a cactus, blood surging to sacred lips, the jar half empty, I have shown you my cards, will you show me yours? Heart filled with conversation and belligerent smiles, sold my body, sold my soul, will you sell me yours? Return the jade from vast emptiness, floating in the spirit, quixotic vessel reveling against the tides of primal fear, knowledge contained in a clock, held by man, floating in eternal struggle, Wind that clock all day and night, show no fright and never bite, gone under to give sermons of light, mechanical lust, neon visions of an ignorant future. I feel I have been there before. Emotional exaggerations trample over faceless acts. I see myself as a bass in an emotive sea drawn to beasts of light. Imagine the gorges of destiny, truth held in a strand of rope, mystic trances and tiny dances moving with breath. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Is this yours? No? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, is Faison Syed here? No? Faison going once, going twice? All right. Our next reader, I'm pretty sure is here, is there's a big check mark next to her name. Give it up for Renee K. This is the right height. I don't know. Like tiptoe a little bit? No. Okay. I'll take it down. <laughs> I think it would be very noticeable if I was shaking and on my tiptoes at the same time. <laughs> um, taking it to a very dark place. Um, this poem is called The Voice Mailbox for This User is Full. My father is dead and always dying. I do not answer his calls. It is easy to fear death, predictable in the way it hits the chest, easier than being reborn. I watch him come back with less, body and mind, both unreliable, and God, if there is one, has lost the language of our tongue. Like a nurse swoops in when he prays for sleep and says, wake, I know you are getting comfortable, but wake. 
time is not the healer of anything that decays, and I am a bad daughter. I do not answer the calls of the dead and always dying. The voice mailbox is full, and this body made of salt has this body made of ocean has run out of salt. Thank you. I feel like that was sort of an ocean, <laughs> ocean creature moment. Uh, also very, also very good. Yeah, I like that ending. Um, okay, our next reader is uh, going to be cooking up some marvelous shit in the Hamptons for us this June. Give it up for Tim Gerber Fleury. Thank you, thank you. Hopefully, we'll be good. Uh, it's a, it's a sonnet, it's my first one, um, and because I thought I was smart, uh, I wanted to do, instead of doing the 10 syllables per line as it's done in English uh, sonnets, I did 12, which is the French Alexandrin, and it doesn't work very well. <laughs> Maybe because it's French, and it's not like language compatible, but I still, I still, Pulled it off, so we'll see how it goes. Um, it's king of his childhood territories. He stands tall in the pictures, little eight-year-old in khaki shorts, wavy blonde hair, and tricycle, at the corner of the street and in his backyard and a back alley he will never see again. There is a joy and an innocence in his eyes, but, most, but mostly a defiance and a roguish frown. In truth, even then he would rather stand than sit. With his legs like sugar canes and a timid smile, he builds an empire of toys and reverie, fever-riddled prince of Bongi's dusty junkyards. And he is unaware of his, imp of his impending fate. He knows not about wife, kids, job, house, car, mortgage. He only knows of mom, dad, sister, Africa of the meanders of the Ubangi River. Thank you. All right, nice. We could definitely do this sonnet, y'all. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I'm looking forward to eating your cooking. I wake up every morning thinking about Tim's cooking <laughs> in the Hamptons. Uh, all right, so uh, Harvey Sauce is not here tonight, but he <laughs> I'm sure you can imagine. He asked me to pass on a message about his open mic <laughs> at the Montauk Club. So if you don't know about that, <laughs> you should check it out on Facebook. Uh, I can't even believe I'm relaying the message to you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just feel like it's like a feature of the Yop open mic now. <laughs> There's like an open mic within the open <laughs> mic. Okay, our next reader is, uh, I believe, making uh, his Yop debut tonight. Give it up for Constantine Jones. How's it going? Can everybody hear me? I'm, I, is this going to make me feel make you feel bad if I tell you I was here last month for the first time? <laughs> huh? I did for the first time, uh, and now I'm back. And now I don't think y'all can get rid of me, so... Uh, um, 
I'm going to read um, the end of a longer movement called Please Hold, which itself is part of a larger body of work called Ruins in Progress, which is dedicated to uh, the HIV positive, both uh, here and those who are no longer here. Um, Now it's a thumbtack dance I do around every new boy I meet who's never heard the word undetectable used that way. And I get to wondering, is it my obligation now to tell you what nobody ever bothered to tell me? Not that I would have listened even if they had. It's like this. Undetectable as in a cell count so small to where not even the best of the test can find it in me even though they know it's there. As in the likelihood of a transmission of some kind from me to you is virtually none. As in, let me put it this way. I'm undetectable like small metal pieces in the sands with the groundskeeper sweeping the beach. I'm undetectable like the ghosts and names and favorite fruits of those who loved and lived and fought and died and were denied before me, as in those who I am now a part of, as in my brand new ancestors. These other blemished and beautiful beads swallowed by that hungry, negligible fish named history, these entire lives that were, but also that could have kept being, could have been for longer than they were, had circumstances been different. In other words, like them, I am now undetectable. I am moving through the halls at night, and not a single fucking floorboard comes to creaking. I am drifting on the air. I am spit and greasy hair. I am the busted brick, the buttons, the iron railings, the salvage warehouses, the overpasses, the chain link padlocks pried to pieces, the piers. I am every lonely dyke and sequinless queen. I am back seats, street lights, telephone poles, untreated illnesses, foreclosed dwellings, and yes, it is true. I am also this poem. In another some odd years, when nobody will say we were lost or we deserved it, I am in a big, big table. And sat around it are all the other lights. They've been waiting this whole time just for me. And now that I'm here, we'll wait for you too in the gut of this haunted house, our history. Thank you. Damn good. Sorry, I forgot you were here. Sorry, no secrets. Yeah, you had a fish. You had a fish in there, though, didn't you? Maybe. There was like at least a Maybe metaphor or something. Beach. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I was good. <laughs> yeah, seriously, very good poem. Thank you. Uh, our next reader, no stranger to many of you. I feel like I've used that phrase a hundred times tonight, so I apologize for boring you with that repetition. But give it up for this wonderful poet, Marietta Brill. reading a poem that I wrote first in Vanessa Gabb's class and have been working on way too long. <laughs> so it's called, um, I once saw my aura projected by a machine. And since it was mine, it seemed precious. So I reached behind my skull, grasping the radiant platter of light, golden green, like sun filtered through summer boughs, an oval medieval halo-ish ghost of my brain clenched into a fist full of dollars already spent and came up empty. My arm passed right through it. In this green cloud, I saw my days, a hologram in luminous arrays, a carousel of wants and pains, shoe shopping on Zappos, liking, hyperlinking, I aming a heart-to-heart -heart with Jack, so far away, and babies, 
Baby after refugee baby, immigrant babies in Walmart aisles of cutlery, chain link by the yard, Dead Sea salt scrub, so many babies. I could feel my milk let down in readiness. I was ready to nurse a clickable baby. Meanwhile, someone hacked my identity, not just the bitmaps of my waist, but the green of my aura and possibly my old Yahoo password. <laughs> Why is it always 3.41 AM? Please, don't remind me matter is like money, an illusion of exchanging states making everything we are and touch glimmer, almost invisibly glimmer and quake. What I'd give for a minute in deep space to hold the world still as if I could control the spin of photons, making these balustrades ever more tempting, more ornate, gorgeous, and temporary. Jack has brought us to a copse among evergreens unmoved by pixels and market swings. We hear traffic far off muffled by trees. Beneath our bare feet, the moss, the soft, the drenched. Jack shows us where chanterelles hide their frilly caps cover archives of ancient knowledge. It's been years since he left. Why is my heart still molten? He plucks a bloom from a branch, scrapes his elbow on bark. Actual blood beads up like sap. It feels crucial. These moments are real. Thank you. I feel like this open mic is going well. These, <laughs> uh, wow, really good poems tonight. Thank you all, uh, everyone who's read already. Um, okay, so let's do a little review. That was uh, Marietta Brill, before that was Constantine Jones, Tim Gerber Fleury in the back, Renee Kay, Adam Holabeck right here, Julia Knobloch, and Alan Braverman right here. And, uh, there were six readers before that, but I've already reviewed them. So we'll go over everyone at the end. Our next reader is uh, maybe I'm partial. She was a student of mine in my Blank Perverse workshop, so I'm very excited for all of you to hear her. Give it up for Josephine Blair. I think we're the same height. This might work. Um, I really picked an open mic to debut at, huh? This was... I am terrified. Okay, that's not part of the poem. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, this is called Creature. Another one tried to eat me, chewed me up in public, in front of the whole coliseum, the whole platform, the whole Saturday of spectators. They were all cheering or indifferent. It's the same. This one spit me out. Strings of denim like mango webbed between his teeth, hanging. I looked at them and questioned what role my jeans played. A darker denim, maybe, next time? Less likely to catch the eye, the tongue. I questioned what roles my jeans played. I was not built to be ignored. Less food, maybe, from now on. Less flesh to cut, less woman to slice away just the bones he'll toss on the tracks when he's done feasting. It's easy to imagine him a creature. 
I think that makes it easier for everyone. These monsters, severed tails, seven tongues, scores of teeth like scorpion claws, no fingers, but dirt caked into them anyway. It's better when they're creatures and not friends, fathers, phantom sides of midnight corners. I met my first when I was 18. There's this dream I have when I think of him. 10 years and not a piece of it's changed. We're in a room. We're in a room and the door is locked. The room is made of blackening wood and it crisps when I bite and twist and crack against its skeleton. Do you think we deserve this? I'm asking and screaming and asking until the words are branded hard into my skin. He's laughing. He's holding my head by its hair. I'm suddenly certain that skin is all that's left of my body, all over me folded and smushed in stacks of itself, rolling like cigarettes squealing through the walls. We're on fire now, but nothing is crumbling. It expands all of it. The skin doubles until I'm wearing a fresh sweater of myself on fire, and there's nothing I can do to take it off. We're in a room. We're in a room, and the door is locked from the outside, and they're screaming. We're in a room, but we aren't allowed to leave until I promise I won't tell. He's plucking the lashes from my lids one by one, but we aren't allowed to leave until we've sorted out our differences. Thank you. God damn. Nice work. Uh, fresh sweater of myself, huh? Some poetry right there. Yeah, you did have a creature, but maybe it was from the ocean, but it sounded more hostile than that. Um, okay, wow. So, so many good poems tonight. Yeah, I don't envy you, all of you. I guess I have to vote too, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend like I don't. Um, it's gonna be a hard vote tonight. Our next reader is sitting right here wearing amazing pants. I'm just seeing. Give it up for Olympia <laughs> Mastiano. Okay, this one does have clams and crocodiles. <laughs> so. Okay, it's titled. Flan and clam together. <clears throat> Naked, under a crocodile, you saw giraffes grazing. The air felt smooth, pink lollipop, unwinding in the sky of absinthe and eye, was absent baking, a chicken concoction in a kitchen full of coconuts, we crouch over and cry until we shed our absurd skins and are found as true experiential writers. You on top of a chocolate flan and I inside a fried clam. <laughs> Uh, I'm enjoying these ocean problems. Uh, we might have to do a second, an ocean yawp or something. <laughs> uh, 
What was that uh, Wes Anderson movie, The Life Aquatic? It'd be like the Yop, the Yop Aquatic. <laughs> I can see, yeah, I can see that poster right now. We should get Wes Anderson involved. I'm sure he'd, I'm sure he'd roll by. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, our next poet is Laura Murphy here. I don't think I saw her. Huh? No, you don't see her. Okay, that's like your version of Ricky's negative. I don't see her. Uh, moment of silence for Ricky Hernandez. Not that he's dead, but uh, he never he never comes anymore. But uh, he used to always tell us who was here and who wasn't. He just seemed to know, always. Um, okay, well, our next poet is our reigning yawper of the year. Give it up for Bill Livingston. Keep it going for Jason. He's keeping it real through the fatigue and the glaring absence of Arthur Russell. It's called Excuse Note. Dear mysterious authority figure at Edward R. Murrow High School, this is actually the second note I'm writing since the first one was buried, crushed, and forgotten at the bottom of a backpack. Please excuse my sweet baby girl for her absence Tuesday and Wednesday. The school nurse decreed that she remain home until her fever subsides, her nausea disappears, and her extreme boredom in an unchallenging educational environment recedes. <laughs> I'll do my part by keeping her from piling sushi on top of Shake Shack burgers and fries. And exactly what kind of training does it take to become a school nurse besides how to take a temperature and track down a parent? Would I even be able to trust her with an insulin needle should my daughter have diabetes or an EpiPen should she ever go into toxic shock from a peanut allergy? Please do realize that when she is in attendance, smiling sweetly at all of your noble, courageous, and grossly underpaid teachers, raising her hand and participating like the A student champ she is, the school should consider itself extremely lucky. Lucky she's not any of the two students I saw getting busted by the NYPD out front when I went to pick her up. Two students without the word stealth or discretion in their vocabulary carrying out a weed exchange. Lucky she's not rat packing a girl in the hallway while a friend films it for Snapchat. Lucky she's not dealing with an unwanted pregnancy in an abusive household. Lucky she's not tagging the hallways with gang signs and hello kitties. Lucky she's not threatening to shoot up the school on social media. Outside of installing a body cam on her, I can't watch her 24-7. But I have a pretty good idea she's a pretty good kid. I trust you'll inform me if that's not the case. Go ahead. Ask her how she's feeling today. Thank you. stuff. Don't, don't fuck with Bill Livingston's kid. <laughs> Damn. Got her back. I like it. Uh, Alright, well, we are on to the wait list, so uh, we'll see how many poets we can get to. Um, is this first poet, is it Kaya? K-Y-A-H? Is that it? Yes? Alright, give it up for Kaya Harris, everyone. So this is called Daddy's Little Girl. Her soul is dead, but her hope is alive. 
She fights for her mother's acceptance. She's daddy's little girl, but that has nothing to do with her dad. She feels every part of her belongs to him. He owns her. She loves him. He only fucks her. She wanted to feel love. She wants to feel supported. She needs him. He don't love her. Her mouth on his piece. She feels so empty, but he seems so happy. She'll do anything to make him feel happy. Everything she do benefits him. She caters to him. He beats her senseless. She's daddy's little girl, and she does anything daddy says to. Thank you. Damn. Thank you. Uh, wow. Uh, our next poet, is it uh, Dom Bible or Bible? Bible? All right. All right. I know you. We've been emailing. Okay, give it up for Dom Dom Bible. Hi. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to test it out. <clears throat> I wrote this uh tonight during the during the workshop. Everyone needs a place. Um whispered by those who occupy yelled and pleaded by those who don't. Needs unmet to belong, quintessential. Everyone needs a place. So the occupiers pretend to listen as they sit on antique chairs, kept safe by zip codes and big wallets and white skin, or two out of three. Everyone needs a place. Tears form up behind my eyes behind my cheeks as fire pulses through my head and my heart. Someone else longs to belong, to have place, to feel deserving and worthy. A place that is warm when it's cold, refreshing when there's sweat and heat and smell, quiet for contemplation, spacious for dances. A place that is safe, everyone needs a place. Everyone needs a place. You wrote that tonight? Dom? You wrote that tonight? Yeah. Yeah, nice. Cool workshop. Okay, our next reader is a former Yacht Poem of the Year winner. Give it up for Shara Hardison. I actually wrote this in a workshop for, with Brooklyn Poets um, two summers ago, and it's been sitting in a drawer, and I got it out recently and started working on it again, so. This is called Galloping Gertie. I'm so afraid that we punish precisely the people we mean to, that it's no accident. I am a history of hard lines. It's well documented. I've been measuring time by clocking the shadows between us. They grow smaller always. That means we're getting farther away, doesn't it? There must be ways to prevent this. I want to tether from me to you a suspension bridge, but the physics of that sort of structure are beyond me. I tried to build one once. It held for a time. And then a gale came through and sent the damn thing galloping toward its own collapse. You'd think after centuries, 
we would have perfected this technology, but bridging continues to bedevil most. I take solace in the fact that when a bridge can no longer carry people or goods, it still carries meaning. And I can wave to you from the other side. Thanks. Good shit. Every time I walk up, I'm just like, you can't hear me because you're clapping. I'm just like, mmm. <laughs> it's like I'm eating like bacon or something. And uh, yeah, it's. <laughs> anyway, good poems tonight. Uh, is Ellen Ritberg still here? Does she leave? Ellen Ritberg. Okay, well, the wait list is looking up for, for those of you below Ellen Ritberg. Our next reader, uh, is it Sandra Fien or Teen? Fien? All right, well, I guess she is right here. Give it up for Sandra Fien. Palms Monday. No one seems to understand his agenda, not even Keon, nor can he tell you where he last saw his book, when he last bought a pencil, why he picks trash from the floor, eats it, then washes it down with his last piece of notebook paper. He parades into her class, wants daily to chart his own seat. He is the opening act in English. His box hair cut at the peak, a fan waving red, matches lips colored cover goal, vintage wine, ditto t-shirt and jeans that hug the bottom of crimson underwear. Scarlet shoelaces grip Tara Rosa high top keds. Keon struts all shades, but deodorant's the last thing he remembers to wear. He knows her eyes will shaft him and her big horse lips flap if she doesn't see both hands on top of the desk. She's a crazy woman. She demands that he work. She won't let him touch his stuff. She wants to put out the fire. She's his biggest censor. She reams him each time his hand sneaks into his biggest pocket and under the charm. She hovers over him. A tormenting fly screams, if the day ever comes when you turn in one assignment, I'll be so shocked. I swear I'll do a cartwheel for you. Two months later, he marks himself present and like a faith healer announces, he's got the miracle she wants. These chosen lines from Romeo and Juliet, good pilgrim, you do wrong your hands too much, which mannerly devotion shows in this, for saints have hands that pilgrims' hands do touch, and palm to palm is Holy Palmer's kiss. On red construction paper, he printed those lines and with a black marker, traced his hand over them. Students in 128 chant, cartwheel, cartwheel. They always memorize a promise. She shrugs her shoulders. She has pants on. She has no excuse. Spins the first awkward cartwheel since 12 and curtsies for Keon. His gold teeth grin and ruby nose ring sparkles. Their eyes meet. For the first time, she sees child. He sees teacher. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful work. Our next reader, uh, it's got a beautiful name. It is, is your first time here, Prince? First time reading? 
All right. Give it up for a Yelp debut. Prince A. McNall. Is it McNall? McNally. Prince A. McNally. Greetings, everyone. Have you ever witnessed the miracle of springtime lilies dancing in the meadow of the winds of a storm that eventually passes, leaving them practically unscathed? Do you remember how the sun would rise triumphantly after the storm, splattering the colors of the rainbow across the quiet skies, as if to say this is a new day a new age, a renaissance of change, of beauty and innocence. How I wish this was a poem about the miracle of springtime lilies. I wish this was a poem about the springtime lilies dancing in the winds of a storm that will eventually pass, leaving those lilies practically unscathed. I wish this was a poem about the sun rising triumphantly after the storm, splattering the colors of the rainbow across the quiet skies, slowly unveiling a new day, a new age, a renaissance of change, of beauty, and innocence. But I digress, for this is not a poem about dancing lilies surviving a storm, nor is it a poem about the beautiful sunrise splattering the colors of the rainbow across the quiet skies, or the coming of a new day, a new age, a renaissance of change and beauty and innocence. This is a poem about pain and struggle about betrayal and torture. This is a poem about the ugliness of life as seen through the eyes of an addict. This is a poem about the call of addiction and the pain of its infliction, the power of its grip and the pull of its gravity upon the human psyche. This is a poem about how quickly it dims the light of one's essence and crushes the soul, how it dashes one's hopes and dreams, killing their desire to live for anything else other than serving this constant yearning that never serves them. This unyielding desire to dance with the devil circumvents anything and everything of true value, of true meaning, often severing the bond between friends and family, not to mention one's responsibilities. So utterly gripping, it weakens one's will to exercise their freedom of thought, for they are merely but a slave, surrendering to a life of, <clears throat> a life of unquenchable thirst for it whispers repeatedly to the soul of its victims, its breath ever redolent with the inevitable stench of death. Like the song of the siren, addiction calls and compels its victims to do its bidding, to do its dance. And when they dance, it reminds me of those lilies dancing in the winds of a storm that will eventually pass. For no matter how hard 
or how long those winds may blow, they still hold on to the song of their addiction. Thank you. Thank you, Prince. Beautiful poem. Uh, we got time for two more. Uh, is this is this next reader? Is it Penny? I'm read. You're not gonna read? You just you're sure? You're positive. <laughs> we got one reader. Uh, our next reader, our final reader of the night, a uh, great poet, former student of mine. Give it up for Ona Abellis. I've actually been signing up for these for years, hoping not to get called. Oh. And <laughs> finally happened. <laughs> okay. Uh, this one is called um, Our Brutal Long Goodbye. I'm also always too tall for everything. Please stand by. Thank you. Okay. Cool. So, Our Brutal Long Goodbye. I would like there to be a place in the city where I can go to pour out the contents of my heart, a place tall like a Mayan pyramid with more than 1,000 steps so I can climb up and feel it in my thighs, chanting some poem the entire time, psychomagic like Khodorovsky advised, heart barely beating in my chest, and at the top, the mayor of the city, de Blasio, or some other lesser government official, dressed in a robe with a purple hat like a pimp telling me I have to lie down on this stone. I would like there to be a place in this city where I can go to have all my insides exchanged for different parts, like a car garage for human bodies, with the mechanic and scuffed Tim's telling me he's never seen damage like this before, and this is going to cost my arm, but we'll get the job done. In the moment, I would debate giving up my arm to forget you. How much of my arm? I would like there to be a place in this city that we haven't been, a place that is my own after all these years, but even this apartment needs a priest to come splash holy water, to exercise your ghost still kicking a soccer ball against the wall, still making kombucha in your jars, still laughing so I can hear the sound waves bouncing corner to corner, like some mad game of Tetris only I'm playing with each ear. I've already sold all the rest of your things or set them on the stoop for free. I've already thrown out all my old clothes, cut my hair, and started listening to self-help videos on YouTube. I'm dating somebody new, and we're going on vacation to Mexico this week. I wish there could be a place in this city that is just a field of hammocks, strung row by row, rentable by the hour, where I can go after work to rest in the linen, wrapped from side to side, alone and not alone, with hundreds of other New Yorkers recovering nearby. Suddenly, the alarm goes off, and we all get out and move on with our lives. I wish there were a place in the city, a real chop shop, that specialized in making masks, a place where I can go to exchange my face, the blue muscles and skin for wood, a fixed forehead, smile, high cheeks and chin. I would want to look like I'm constantly testing a new perfume. I wish there were a place in this city to reenact the long goodbye, a movie set with everyone at the ready, camera poised to record my voice saying, I think we should break up. And then whatever you said next, I don't remember. The camera zooms on your face, capturing the moment my words hit the air. I wish there were a place in this city like a hall full of mirrors that only showed the past, where you'd go 
pay a month's salary to enter and go image by image until you'd had enough. When you left, they'd stamp your hands so you could never come back in again. And this would be our brutal long goodbye. Uh, I don't know. It's like a, it's like it's like the waitlist knows who it wants to end on. That was a great uh, <laughs> that was a great poem to close with. Thank you, Ona. Okay, uh, so to review, um, I'm gonna go backwards from uh, our last poet. That was Ona Abellus. Before that was Prince A. McNally, uh, Sandra Fien, right? Ellen. Oh, sorry, Ellen did not read. Yes, Ellen was not here. Shara Hardison, Dom Bible, Kaya Harris. Bill Livingston, Olympia Moschianu, Josephine Blair, Marietta Brill, Constantine Jones, Tim Gerber-Fleury, Renee Kay, Adam Holubik, Julia Knobloch, Alan Braverman, Michael Holcomb-Scally, Todd Friedman, Rachel Goldberg, Jerry Wagoner, Hannah Donovan, and Del Lemon. Do you all remember that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's definitely going to be tough to vote tonight. Uh, uh, I mean, I feel like the op... Is good every month, but uh, damn, that was good. Um, congrats to all. I don't know why I'm saying congrats. Good, jo good. Jo I can't believe I'm about to, <laughs> about to say good job. I always tell my students not to say good job. It just sounds like the worst praise. But uh, those are some magnificent poems. Uh, the number to vote: seven one eight three seven four one nine five three. Just text me: seven one eight three seven four one nine five three. Don't call or text in the middle of the night when you're drunk. That would be inappropriate. Unless you've got like a poem for me or something, in which case I would probably love it. Seven one eight three seven four one nine five three. Y'all got that? No. Anyone need? I'm about to get a second phone. It's going to be very exciting. This this number will become my business line. I'm gonna I'm gonna feel I'm gonna feel really official, and then I'll have a personal line for only the special people. <laughs> Uh, we'll see. I don't know. We'll see if that happens. Um, what was I going to say? So our next YOP is uh, in May. Uh, what's the second Monday of May? May 13. You're absolutely certain? Yeah. I feel like I feel like that's like a YOP feature, though, where someone's always saying, yeah, I'm sure it's my birthday, and then it's like wrong. <laughs> it happens a lot, though, you know? Yeah, people are like, yeah, that's definitely that's my birthday. Uh, well, happy birthday in advance. So May 13th, uh, Anna Bazicevich will be here. Teaching the YOP, she is currently teaching a workshop called uh, Structure and Play, Poetry uh, by Design. It's a really exciting workshop for us, so definitely come out for that. Uh, I should have mentioned, <laughs> I don't know how this slipped my mind, this is uh, our sixth anniversary YOP. Sorry, we started this in 2013, so yeah, whoop it up. Uh, I'm glad we started this. Uh, we were founded in 2012, and then uh, less... Almost a year later, we were found on May 31st, 2012. May 31st, as you know, is Walt Whitman's birthday. And uh, people could have, oh, do you have an open mic? How am I going to read? Do you have an open mic? So I was like, well, all right, fuck it. Let's start an open mic <laughs> and, uh, at the first one. Uh, but I didn't want to just do an open mic. We did, a, we did a workshop, too. And the first workshop, which I led, I think there was like nine people, which was I thought was amazing, actually, because I didn't think anyone was going to come. Uh, and I think of that open mic, which I think Bill Livingston was at. Yes, you were there. One of the first eoppers. I don't think I don't think anyone else was there. Or Julie Hart, were you there? No. Not the first one. Yeah, Bill Livingston has that. He has that on his. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> uh, what were there, like 25 people there, maybe 30? Maybe 30. Yeah, it was still it was a pretty good crowd, but this is amazing. Now it's just like a regular crowd that usually at least like 60, 65 people. Sometimes, sometimes it's like 95 people here. Yeah, it's uh, and it's uncomfortable physically, but uh, <laughs> but uh, good fiscally <laughs> for us if you catch my drift. So uh, let's keep it going. Thank you for coming and supporting this event. Uh, we will be back here in May. May 2nd, we have a very exciting reading, the Brooklyn Poets Reading Series. We are partnering with the Brooklyn Poets Library. You may have heard of these poets. Uh, Tina Chang, Brooklyn Poet Laureate, is reading. Ilya Kaminsky has got this brand new book, Deaf Republic, which is fantastic. He will be reading. And Brenna Shaughnessy, you may have heard of her new book called The Octopus Museum. So that will be at the Brooklyn Poets Library on May 2nd, which incidentally is my little sister's birthday. So that's exciting. For me personally, I don't know. It's not actually not that exciting for me, but uh, should be maybe more exciting for all of you. I don't even know what the fuck I'm saying. Come out to that May 2nd. If you want more info, look at the Broken Poets website. We'll be back here, was it May 13th? Yes, for the Anna Bozicevich Yop. Okay, that is it. Thank you and good night. So, there you have it, our sixth anniversary YAP open mic, thanks to our professor Joanna C. Valenti, longtime book and post professor, for leading a kick-ass workshop for this very special night. Thanks to all of the regular yawpers and of course the newcomers who came out for it. Uh, we always love inviting new poets into our community and seeing old friends every month. We've been doing this now since 2013. The very first yawp at 61 Local. All of them have been at 61 Local, our uh, amazingly generous venue partner. Congrats to Rachel Goldberg, winner of our April Yop Poem of the Month for her beautiful poem, Elegy for My Infant Daughter. Rachel has earned free admission to a future Yop and a spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown coming your way this December 9th. So definitely put that on your calendar. A few other things to put on your calendar if you are listening to this at the end of April and uh, are looking forward to May. It's a very exciting month for uh, Brooklyn Poets and the larger poetry community in general. On May 2nd, we have our second installment of the Brooklyn Poets Reading Series for 2019, a star-studded lineup featuring Brooklyn Poet Laureate Tina Chang, Ilya Kaminsky, author of the fabulous new book Deaf Republic, and Brenda Shaughnessy, all reading together, in fact, all launching new books at the Brooklyn Public Library, the central branch in the Dweck Center downstairs. We're very excited about this one. The following Monday, May 6th, we're back at 61 Local for our spring workshop showcase featuring students and faculty from our winter-spring 2019 workshops. This is one of my favorite events. We do this three times a year. On May 13th, the following Monday, we have our May Yop featuring Anna Bozicevich leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. And last but definitely not least, on the very last day of the month, May 31st, which is, of course, the 200th birthday of Walt Whitman, we our, we our, we are celebrating the very big night with a celebratory event we're celebrating with a celebratory event at smack melon in dumbo where we 
uh, have events only when it's a really special night because they have such a fantastic, huge historical space. We are going to be celebrating with uh, Tina Chang again, Mark Doty and Rowan Ricardo Phillips, the judges of our Whitman Bicentennial Poetry Contest, the winners of which will be announced tomorrow, May 1st. So again, if you are listening to this right now, you can, you, I'm sure you're very excited because you're going to hear all these announcements coming out starting on May 1st. We're going to announce the winners and finalists three winners in each of our age brackets from high school age to college age to everyone else 23 and up are going to be reading with the judges on may 31st so definitely come out for that all of these events are free at all of these events well not all of them but the broken boats reading series and the bicentennial you can get food and wine at the event uh that's always nice um so, I'm very excited about May, and I'm also, also, you know, just sort of preemptively, or not preemptively, uh, proactively, uh, I don't know, forecastingly excited for May to be over, because then I will be much less busy than I have been, especially the last few days, um, putting all this stuff together. So, thank you for listening. Thanks to those two of you who are out there that gave us uh, five-star ratings on iTunes. Now we are at 21 five-star ratings and counting. It's incredible. We have finally eclipsed the 20 rating plateau. Let's keep it coming. We will see you on May 13th for the May Yop with Anna Thanks for listening, and uh, hope you are well. <laughs>